Support for this broadcast of Two Rivers 30 Minutes comes in part from a grant from Striffler's Family Funeral Homes. From TubeCityOnline.com, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a weekly series of interviews with people making news around the McKeesport area. Produced by Tube City Community Media Incorporated, a nonprofit corporation. I'm Jason Toger, the executive director. On this show, we talk one-on-one with elected officials, community leaders, and others who are trying to make a difference in the Monoc area. And we also take your questions and comments on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. Most of us take water for granted, or at least we have most of our lives. It, it isn't something that you can take for granted if you live in a lot of major American cities, as the people of Flint, Michigan, found out a few years ago, or a lot closer to home, as the people of McKeesport found out after a very serious fire uh, caused firefighting chemicals, foam, that uses what are called PFAs and PFOs and PFOASs uh, to enter their drinking water supply. Carla Eng is an associate professor of civil and environmental engineering at the University of Pittsburgh. She has been part of a team that has been analyzing the water in the 10th Ward area of McKeesport, but they've also been testing water throughout western Pennsylvania to find out just how prevalent these chemicals are. Uh, Good morning, uh, Dr. Eng. Good morning, Jason. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for taking some time to talk with us. I I remember this fire very well, not just because I was a part of the the journalists covering it, but because I, I knew the people who owned the body shop pretty well, um, and I live in the neighborhood uh, or, or just a few streets away. So th- this was a big deal. This was a this was an auto body shop that caught fire, and the firefighters, you know, they've got all these uh, paints and chemicals and solvents and everything that are burning, and th- they brought in uh, firefighting foam to to smother the fire. W- what was in that foam that was particularly of concern in terms of the drinking water. Yeah, so there's a specific type of firefighting foam that's become infamous in recent years because it's led to widespread contamination of water all over the U.S. and actually all over the world. And this is called uh, AFFF, uh, is the way we normally refer to it. It's an aqueous film-forming foam, and it contains chemicals known as per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances, or PFAS. Uh, these are specialized foams that were developed to be used for when you have fires that have fuel involved that are very hard to fight. And so these types of firefighting foams are really intended for use in places like oil and gas facilities and in airports and in military bases where fuel might have caught fire. What's the what's the problem with these these chemicals? What why why do we worry about what these chemicals do if if they're such a good thing in terms of putting out these these hazardous uh, materials fires? Yeah, good question. So these these uh, PFAS were developed, this type of firefighting foam was developed using these chemicals because they are so good at forming these foam blankets to suppress the fires. But unfortunately, in recent decades, we've discovered that many of these chemicals are also toxic, and they can be toxic at very low concentrations. So one of the issues with using a toxic chemical like this inside of a firefighting foam is that there's no control over where the foam goes once the fire is out. And so once you've spread this foam out in the environment, it can contaminate um, you know surface water bodies and soils in the, in the area. Probably some of our listeners uh, know someone who's in the, the volunteer fire service or maybe a paid firefighter or, you know, like me, has been a reporter and has gone to cover many fires. And, and one thing you see after the firefighters are done is just how 
covered in water and soot and, and debris they are from, you know, the, the old saying is that the rest of us run away from the fires and those men and women run into the fires, right? Does this firefighting foam, does it get on the firefighters as well? Do, the, do they absorb it as well? It does. And this is a really important issue to highlight because first responders are so important for protecting the safety of the public. And they are some of the most vulnerable to exposure to toxic chemicals. Firefighters already have a huge burden of exposure just from the, uh, you know, the experience of being inside of a fire where lots of stuff is burning, the furnishings in our home, the furnitures, all of those can release toxic chemicals. And on top of that, they have the direct exposure to the firefighting foams and also even to PFAS that are impregnating the uniforms that they wear. So they have this type of gear that's supposed to protect them. That's called turnout gear. And they actually use PFAS in uh, making the coatings in that gear. And so there's a movement right now to see if they can get PFAS out of that um those garments that they wear to reduce their exposure. Uh, Carla Ng is an associate professor of civil and environmental engineering at the University of Pittsburgh. You have a website where you're posting some of your research. Can you give folks the the address of the website? Yeah, if you'd like to find out more about our group and what we do, um, the website is uh, www.pitt.edu slash tilde, that's that little squiggly sound, uh, squiggly sign, Carla Ng, C-A-R-L-A-N-G. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more widely about uh, some of the work you're doing throughout Western Pennsylvania, but I want to sort of close the loop on this topic. These these PFAS or PFOs, um, or what, what was the term you used, AAA? What was the term? The, the firefighting foam is called AFFF, aqueous okay. film-forming foam. Okay, yeah. but but the chemicals more broadly are these uh, this family of uh, PFAS. PFAS. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're yeah. not just found in firefighting foam, though. They're they're found a lot closer to home. What are some of the household products that we might encounter these these chemicals in? Yeah, so this can be a little scary when I start talking to people about PFAS because they are very very widely used in all sorts of consumer applications. So um, while they're uh, used a lot in firefighting foams are also used to manufacture nonstick surfaces. So if you have Teflon pans, uh, traditionally they were manufactured using uh, this PFOA, same ingredient that is in, you know, some uh, uh, these older foams. Um, you can find it in personal care products. So some face creams, waterproof makeup, dental floss will often have a Teflon coating on it um, that can release PFAS uh, when you use it. Some medicines use PFAS in in them, uh, and also a lot of cleaning products. So things that tend to be for making things degreased or um, uh, to make surfaces uh, smudge proof and stain proof. The, the the sprays that you get um, at the store to if you you, you buy um, shoes, for instance, and you want to waterproof <laughs> them, or or uh, you, right. a, a new couch, or you know, and oh, I, I you know, I've got a dog, I've got kids, I don't want them spilling stuff on my new couch. I guess the brand name is Scotchgard. I don't know if Scotchgard in particular contains uh, PFAS and PFOS, but that certainly is the genericized term for it. That, that stuff can contain mm-hmm. these chemicals. Yeah, so the, the, the traditional, the old school Scotchgard uh, from decades ago contained PFOS, oh, okay. um, which, is, which is one of the more toxic PFAS and is actually coincidentally one of the chemicals we found associated with the firefighting foam at Keysport after the fire. Um, but they've moved on to newer types of PFAS, and this is also a concern. So the class of PFAS compounds contains thousands of different substances. Okay. And the ones that we know a lot about their toxicity is just a small proportion of that. So we know that, you know, we understand well the toxicity of a handful of them. As a consequence, a lot of, you know, that small handful has been phased out of products, but they've been replaced with other PFAS. And there's still a lot of uncertainty about how toxic the new PFAS that are being used Okay, are. So, so it's a whole, it's not one particular chemical. It's a whole classification, a whole family of, of, of different chemicals, thousands, as you yeah. said. 
That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and the thing that binds them all together. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, please continue. <laughs> I was going to say the thing that binds them all together into this class is the fact that they use carbon fluorine bonds and the car- carbon fluorine bond in the chemical is what gives it that uh, ability to reflect, uh, repel dirt and water. But at the same time, it makes it a very, very durable chemical, which is why once it's released into the environment, it, t- it sticks around basically forever. There's not an easy way to break these chemicals down. It reminds me a little bit of uh, lead contamination. We've had several guests on this show to talk about lead contamination in soil, in paint, in, in water. And one of the mm-hmm. things that they always point out is that lead, once it's accumulated in the body, the body in- interprets it as calcium basically and, and binds it permanently mm-hmm. into the to the body. The, the PFAS and PFOs, they, they, stay, they stick around forever. Is, and that includes in, in human tissue? They don't stick around forever in, in human tissue. Um, you will excrete it, but depending on the type of PFAS, some of them are excreted very slowly. So they can stick it around in your body for years. Okay. And the bigger problem is since they don't break down in the environment, you're being continuously re-exposed. So un- unless you move to somewhere where there's no PFAS in your environment, you're, you're going to continue to take it up. We have, a, we have a break coming up, but before we get to the break, what are the long-term health uh, risks associated with this family of chemicals? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a scary risk for the ones that have been well-studied, we understand that they are linked to several types of cancer. So they've been linked to kidney cancer and testicular cancer. There are some um, some associations with breast cancer, though that's not as, as clear. They are developmental toxicants. And one of the effects that happens at the lowest concentrations is that they can actually impair your immune system. So they make your body less able to respond to vaccines, for example. Wow. Uh, we're talking with uh, Carla Eng. She's an associate professor of civil and environmental engineering at the University of Pittsburgh. She's part of a team that is uh, studying the, the the exposure rates, essentially. And we're going to talk more about the research here right after the break of this class of chemicals called PFAS and PFOS. Uh, mostly were originally intended – well – in firefighting foam, at least, they were intended to be used at airports and industrial facilities. But uh, as as Dr. Ng has explained and as we talked about, they have been used in, in residential fires or commercial fires in residential neighborhoods, as we had in McKeesport uh, a, a few years ago. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what you found when you, you tested the water in McKeesport. And then I want to get uh, more widely into the, the research that your team is doing throughout the western Pennsylvania area. Okay? Sounds good. Broadcasting from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown. McKeesport. This is Two Rivers 30 Minutes on Radio 81 WEDO, 1550 and 101.1 WZUM, the Pittsburgh Jazz Channel, and Tube City Online Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Support for this broadcast comes from Striffler's Family Funeral Homes. Since 1866, Striffler's has provided compassionate professional memorial services for families in White Oak, McKeesport, Dravosburg, Portview, and the surrounding areas. Striffler's offers comprehensive pre-planning services and aftercare. And through its Affiliated company design monuments, Strifflers also provides permanent markers and memorials crafted in stone, bronze, and other high quality materials. Learn more at strifflers.com or call 412 678 6191. Welcome back. Carla Ng is our guest. She's an associate professor of civil and environmental engineering at the University of Pittsburgh Swanson School. And we're talking about uh, a, a certain type of chemical that uh, is a lot more common than you know it. It's in firefighting foam. And so, so back. 
back in July 2021, and I remember this day well because we were having a barbecue a couple blocks away from McKeesport Auto Body, which had just worked on my car, as a matter of fact. The power line fell on this body shop. We heard the fire trucks arriving, and it burned for hours and hours and, and, and hours once that fire got going. Uh, firefighters, I believe, from, from one of the Pittsburgh airports brought in this this firefighting foam to try to get this fire out. It, it, but the firefighting foam got sucked into the to the water supply, uh, possibly through a fire hydrant. I know that's still apparently being investigated. What, what did you find out? What did you find in, in people's homes when you sampled their water? Yeah, so I actually didn't find out about the fire until several months had passed. Okay. Um, but the, the group that contacted me was Women for a Healthy Environment. They had been working with the community. And they reached out to me because we had met in uh, other contexts and they knew that I studied this chemical. And I was really surprised to learn about what had happened, you know, this obvious accident of, of getting the uh, foam sucked into the distribution system. Um, and, you know, the provision of water for fighting fires is a really important um, service that drinking water utilities provide. It's one of the main things that, you know, we get out of having a, a water distribution system in a city like this. Uh, but unfortunately, it presents a vulnerability. Uh, and so when I heard that this had happened and that there was the potential for um uh, PFAS contamination, I volunteered to bring my group out to, to McKeesport to test the tap water because what we heard through Women for a Healthy Environment is that a lot of the residents were feeling frustrated. They weren't sure whether their water was safe. Uh, and when I was contacted, I think it was already at the end of September. Um, and so we mobilized a few of my graduate students and went out to McKeesport to test tap water and, and wh whoever would basically let us into their house um, and look to see if we could find any PFAS. Mm -hmm. So it was a, a little bit of a door-to-door job, but we were able to collect um, drinking water samples from several homes. I think there were about 15 homes in our first sampling go-around, and this happened in December of 2021. So it was already six months after the fire that well, we was, got the initial testing done. I was going to say, because I remember, you know, it was a late night that night, obviously, and then woke up the next morning and had a text message on my phone from from the water authority saying that, you know, we needed to spread the word that there was a uh, do not use the water. Uh, alert yep. out for for that neighborhood, and so hurried up, and we put something on the radio, and we put something on our website that you know there, there's this do not use the water, and I remember them flushing the the fire hydrants for mm -hmm. for for days uh, in a couple of cases, uh, water just spewing uh, out of the fire hydrants. But six months later, there were still traces of this chemical, weren't there? There were. So I had looked at the data that the Water Authority put up on their website to show that the the PFAS were no longer being detected in the distribution system. But because there was not a lot of data about homes, my concern was that there could be PFAS trapped inside the plumbing in the residential homes. Okay. Um, because these chemicals are sticky, uh, they're notorious for getting stuck, for example, like uh, where they're used in fire trucks, right? And if they're trying to transition the fire trucks away from use of, of AFFF, it's almost impossible to clean them out completely and to get the truck not to be releasing PFAS over time. Well, because they're, um, supposed, so to, there they're, is, they're, they're supposed to be durable, right? You know, if you're using them as a nonstick coating mm -hmm. in a pan, or you're using them uh, to repel water or moisture, that's a that's a mm -hmm. that's a value that a chemical engineer would want, right? That's right. And 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 the some of those PFAS really don't like being, uh, you know, in water. So they'll stick to surfaces instead of being dissolved in the water. And then the surface becomes a source for continuously leaching these chemicals out. So this was a little bit of our fear. And we just wanted to give some reassurance to the residents, which is why we went out and did the sampling. And uh, unfortunately, we did find in that first December sampling, two homes that had at least one sample that tested with very high levels of this chemical called PFOS, the perfluoro um, octane sulfonate. 
And this is a chemical that has been associated with older firefighting foams. And so we thought if somebody had been using sort of a foam that was put away or stored or donated somewhere, it's it's possible that that's where that signal was coming from in those homes. I want to jump back for a second. You said before the break that mm-hmm. th- this this chemical has has gotten on the radar uh, very quickly over the last few years uh, with firefighters, water authorities, public health officials, environmental uh, activists. What happened? What what happened that alerted people that this was a potential problem? Yeah, so it began with communities that had been contaminated uh, directly from manufacturing of these chemicals. So we know, uh, for example, if you've seen the Dark Waters movie, it tells the story of DuPont contamination of a a town in West Virginia. And there are many cases like this. There is a case in North Carolina where there was a um, floor polymer manufacturing uh, company that recently um, they discovered massive contamination of the Cape Fear River watershed there. Um, There's also been cases where um, uh, people living near military sites have discovered high levels of PFAS uh, in their drinking water. And what really started this entire movement, I would say, was the discovery that you can find PFAS basically in everyone's blood. Wow. Uh, and if you go if you go back through the literature to when this first started emerging, um, I believe that it was a dentist who was doing research and had started seeing this signal in, you know, patient samples from blood and was trying to figure out what is this? Uh, and they eventually discovered that they, they basically were having a hard time finding any blood samples without PFAS in them. Uh, and that was followed up by, you know, surveys of wildlife, um, you know, a few decades ago and found that similarly, mm-hmm. all the blood of the wildlife they'd started testing had PFAS in it. And it suddenly blossomed into this unknown global contamination problem. These are sometimes called forever chemicals, Correct. That's right. And as we mentioned before about the carbon fluorine bond being so strong, it's because once they're released into the environment, there is no natural way that they break down completely. Uh, And so once they're out there, they're going to be sticking around unless you find a way to clean the environment. Um, And that's something that you can maybe do for drinking water at a water treatment plant. But it becomes really difficult when you're talking about contaminated soil or entire contaminated lakes or rivers. It, you, you mentioned, and we're gonna we're gonna move more broadly to the Western Pennsylvania area. But six months after this big fire in, in July of 2021 in McKeesport, six months later, you you were still finding uh, a few homes uh, with high levels of, of PFAS. Um, you've gone back and you've done additional testing. What have you found in your most recent rounds of testing? Yeah, thanks for bringing it up. So when we found those high levels, we actually went out and got funding to do a longer term study because we wanted to see whether the problem could be resolved. And so we did get funding through the NIH and we went back recently. Our last round of testing was in uh, November and December of last year, 2022. So a year after our initial um, testing. Um, and we recently had a community event to um, talk about the, the the results that we found. We had originally thought that the levels were a little bit above the newly set contaminant limits by the state of Pennsylvania, but we discovered there was uh, an issue with our original calculations. And now we're really happy to report that um, the levels in the water have dropped much lower than they were the first time we were around, and they're now all well below the MCLs. Uh, and actually are in agreement with some recent testing done by the Water Authority independently through a certified lab that also show the same thing, that the levels are now all in the very low part per trillion range in the water, which is a safe level. Without going too far into the weeds and too far into the science, and because this is sort of a general interest uh, talk show program, uh, what, what, was the, what was the error or what was the methodology that, that resulted in the levels seeming to be too high? 
Yeah. So this is one of the, the banes of being a person who tries to analyze for PFAS. So first of all, there's PFAS contamination everywhere. So you, you go, have to go through so many steps to try to make sure that all of your samples are, are clean and not being contaminated from outside sources. And then there is a lot of analysis that has to happen up front. So we have to extract a large amount of um, volume of water. Uh, it then goes through this concentration phase. And then what we measure in the instrument is a mass. And then we have to convert that mass back into a concentration. And we do that by using the volume that was uh, injected into the instrument. And so there was an error in one of the uh, pieces of software that was used to calculate that concentration back from the volume. So the original results we gave out to the community were about a factor of 10 too high, oh boy. which led to some of those levels being above the, the maximum contaminant limit. So uh, we're able to tell them all, you know, take take the levels we gave you, divide them by 10. And that's how we're all now um, much lower than they were before. <laughs> well, that, that is, yeah. that, that I think people will be will be happy to hear, hear that. We have to take another break. When we come back, let's talk about uh, how you are applying this same research more broadly uh, throughout Western Pennsylvania and um, how people can get in involved and help if they would like to, okay? Sounds good. Carla Ng is an associate professor of civil and environmental engineering at the University of Pittsburgh. She is studying the impact of these so-called forever chemicals, uh, PFAS and PFOS, uh, in the water supply and in the soil in western Pennsylvania. You can find out more by going to her website, pit.edu slash tilde Carla Ng, C-A-R-L-A-N-G. And we'll be back in 30 seconds to wrap things up. Are you aware that currently 20% of veterans regardless of errors served, suffer from PTSD alone, and an average of 20 veterans commit suicide daily? So if you're a veteran suffering with these issues and need to talk, call Operation Vet Now or OVN at 1-800-273-8255 and press 1 or visit opvetnow.org. Back for a final few minutes with Dr. Carla Ng from the University of Pittsburgh. You, you said you you had a slight correction you wanted to make to something we said before the break. Well, yeah, so it's something that an envir- environmental scientist and engineer should never say. So I, I, I had said something about the levels now, if you divide them by 10, they're safe. So <laughs> one thing that I want to bring up is, is what actually the EPA um, has sort of suggested by their health advisory levels for these chemicals. So we have a, a maximum contaminant limit uh, for one of the chemicals, PFOA, that was just set in the state of Pennsylvania at 14 parts per trillion. That's a really small number. So a part per trillion is, is really tiny. Um, but the health advisory level set by the EPA last year is, um, and this was a, an interim health advisory, is 0.004 parts per trillion. So a health advisory level is basically telling you if you drink this every single day in your water, we don't expect anything to happen to you. Uh, and that number is so low that it's basically an acknowledgement that there is probably no safe level of chronic exposure to PFOA. I was just going to say, um, that's, so we can yeah, say that's that we're, basically z- that is yeah. statistically zero. Basically zero. Yeah, that's right, because we can't we can't really even measure it that low. And so while the levels in your, you know, if the levels in your water are below the maximum contaminant limit, it, it's basically below the level that the, the a water authority would have to uh, treat for it doesn't necessarily mean that there's zero risk, which is an important thing to realize about these chemicals and why we should stop using them. uh, Given this high level of toxicity, it's safest if we stop emitting them right now so that levels in the environment can drop. Now that we've sort of panicked everyone, before we before we go on to some, <laughs> some, some of your other research, uh, there, there are ways, if, if we're concerned about our drinking water or the water we cook with, th- there are some actually fairly simple ways that, that people can maybe add a layer of protection for themselves. Uh, fil- water filters on your, your the tap in your kitchen, for instance, correct? That's right. That's right. So if, if you are concerned about having potentially PFOA and PFOS in your water, 
one thing you can do is get um, a, a pitcher filter, you know, like the it's it's the Brita type of filter, mm-hmm. uh, although the most effective ones are the ones that have uh, both an ion exchange and a carbon. So it's like a two stage filter work really well for removing these chemicals from your water, provided you change the filter regularly. And this is not something, a, fan, a piece of fancy laboratory equipment. This is something you can get at Target or Walmart or Bed Bath right. and Beyond or, or wherever. Yep, that's right. So it's a regular consumer um Water filter. Okay. Mm-hmm. Where else are, are you studying this? Because you mentioned initially your, your research was in was around like facilities that manufactured it, or airports where you know they're using these firefighting mm-hmm. foams because a, there's an airplane crash, or an oil and gas facility. So where where else have you been studying? Yeah, so we're really interested in, in fleshing out the map of potential PFAS contamination in Western Pennsylvania and our region in general, because there hasn't been a lot of research done here yet. Um, and we know that it's not only these airports and military sites, but there are also a lot of industrial activity um, that can release PFAS. And of course, we know that this is a hub of industrial activity and has been for a long time. So things like, for example, chrome plating facilities, where they do chrome plating for uh, automotive parts, will have used PFAS in, in the past as a mist suppressant. Uh, it's an important kind of safety use for PFAS, but it would have released PFAS uh, into the environment. Um, so looking for industries that have employed PFAS in any of their activities is a good way to find out where there might be potential contamination. And and what what uh, geographic areas for our listeners? Where sorts of geographic areas have you have you gone to search? So right now, I have a graduate student who's been doing a mapping job for me. She's basically taken. Um, she started with Allegheny County uh, and just looked at what are all of the industries that are present in Allegheny County and where can we find them. Uh, where, where, you know, might there be, have been uses of PFAS? We were also looking in Beaver County just because we also had some, some work we're doing in that area. And there's a lot of industrial activity in that area. Uh, and so she's created a bunch of maps with what look like little hotspots in them. And so what we're planning on doing, uh, this spring and summer is going out and collecting soil samples from those areas and seeing whether we detect PFAS there or not. Are you coming back to McKeesport as well? Because I, I mentioned before the break, I can remember after this fire happened in, in 2021, uh, the Water Authority flushed the fire hydrants. And, you know, a, a thought that I had after the fact was, well, wait a minute, if there's chemicals in the water that they're trying to flush out, where are the chemicals going now that they're flushing the water onto the ground? Um, is, is, is that something that you're coming back to study? Yes, and thank you for reminding me about that, because I, I did want to mention that in case anyone uh, listening is in McKeesport and is interested about this. This is part of our study that's funded by the NIH. We want to understand whether the flushing of the distribution system, which it looks like really effectively removed the contaminants from the water, did it then transfer them to the surrounding soils? And if you live in an area where the hydrants were flushed and you're worried about growing a garden, or if you have pets or children that play outside, it would be important to know whether those PFAS then accumulated in the soil surrounding those homes. So this is this is does remind me again of the lead situation because I know Women for a Healthy Environment has been one of the guests on this program, and they've talked about if you're going to put in a you know tomatoes and cucumbers and, and watermelon and whatever that people grow in their backyard gardens, peppers, you know, make sure that you raise the soil bed so that you have fresh topsoil so that you're not pulling the the lead out of the ground. You're saying that these these so-called forever chemicals, these PFAS and PFOS, the the plants could pull them out of the ground. And then you eat them anyways. That's right. And the shorter chain PFAS um, will accumulate in some plants. So they've been detected in things like strawberries and lettuce that were grown in PFAS contaminated soil or with PFAS contaminated irrigation water. Sure. So it is a concern. And there's also, of course, if you have pets or kids, you know, they're, you know, they're either uh, licking your, your pets like to lick their fur and the kids put everything in their mouth. So there is also that direct transfer. Yeah. If 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 people want to get involved, if they if they want to have their water tested or 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 they want to reach out to you, uh, how would they do that? What's the best way to do that? 
So if you go to my website, uh, my email address is there and you can definitely just uh, shoot me an email and I can send you the consent form for signing up for our study. Uh, and my email address is just my name, carla.ng at pit.edu. And uh, we'd be happy to to add you to our study. And and one last thing, and this is a little bit of a curveball. If people want to educate themselves, if they, if they want to get informed about these chemicals, is, is there a good book or a good website that, that they can go to that, that a lay person can, can try to get their, a handle on this? Yeah, so um, I think that uh, you could, for example, the Dark Waters movie, I would uh, recommend that it's a great movie if you want to learn about the history of PFAS. But the other thing is, if you're interested about how to avoid PFAS, the Environmental Working Group has some great resources. If you go to uh, ewg.org, they have a database called Skin Deep, where you can uh, find out uh, which products, for example, like cleaning products, personal care products have PFAS in them. And they also have a really great PFAS map that shows contamination sites throughout the U.S. Uh, that Dark Waters movie came out in 2019. Uh, it starts, stars uh, Mark Ruffalo, Anne Hathaway, Tim Robbins, Bill Pullman, and that is available for streaming on the different streaming services. And ewg.org is, is the website you mentioned, correct? That's right. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Carla Ng has been our guest this morning. She's an associate professor of civil and environmental engineering at the Swanson School at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, You can find out more by going to her website, pitt.edu slash tilde. That's the squiggly thing, as we said. Uh, Carla Ng, NG, is her last name. Dr. Ng, thank you so much and and keep in touch uh, as you're continuing this this research in, in the Mon Valley area. Okay. Yeah, thanks so much for the interest. And thank you all for listening this week to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, broadcasting from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport. On Radio 81, WEDO, 1550 and 101.1 WZUM, the Pittsburgh Jazz Channel, and Tube City Online Radio. So long for now. You've been listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, copyright Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Opinions expressed on this program are not those of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Listener support makes this program possible. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our website at tubecityonline.com and click on the donate link. You can also get a free subscription to this program and other podcasts at our website using Apple's iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you've got a question or comment, we hope you'll write to us. Our address is Tube City Community. Community Media Incorporated, P.O. Box 94, McKeesport, PA, 15134. You can email us at tubecitytiger at gmail.com or call us at area code 412-614-9659. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online.